You are listening to the 12 Stone Podcast. For more information on our eight locations or service times, please visit 12stone.com. Now enjoy Pastor Sean Myers as he delivers Discipling Our Children. Well, church, we ready? Get after it. Well, in this series of Belong, we've been asking ourselves a question, and here's what it is. Where do I belong? And every single one of us, deep down in our souls somewhere, we're asking this question, but over the course of a few weeks, we believe that you're going to come to discover that the answer to this question is found in this statement. I belong to a family. Because every single one of us belongs to a family. And last week, Pastor Miles talked about how that first belonging, our primary belonging, should be to our heavenly Father, that he loves us, that Jesus Christ makes it possible for us to be restored to our heavenly Father. And next week, PK is going to be back, and he's going to be teaching on dating and in marriage and how do we find belonging inside of that. December 1st, we're excited. The campus pastors are going to be speaking at your campus live, talking about church family and what that looks like. But today, we get to talk about belonging inside of families through parenting. Now, to start this teaching off, I wanted to find something that we all share in common as a family, and it's this. Every family is awkward and weird in its own way. Isn't that true? I mean, you just look at the person next to you and you're like, yep, that's it. I get it, right? Now, if you didn't know this, there's a website that's called awkwardfamilyphotos.com. It is very entertaining. And they, they, people submit their family photos or old family photos. And it's so funny. This collection began to form of all these people desperately taking family photos and trying to demonstrate how they belong together. So for our enjoyment uh, today, let's look at a few of this. Here's the first one. And this one, you immediately see it and you laugh and you think to yourself, isn't it funny what we used to think was cool? right? Like, these are definitely handmade. Uh, they d- put this together themselves. I look at the next picture. Oh, man. This is one of those moments where you, where you think in your head what's going to be cute, and then it turns out like this. A uh, little bit creepy. That's all right. But at least she knows what she's going to look like when she grows up. She's going to know that, right? I love this next one. This is my favorite. Grandma, you're out of here. Get over there. Sick of your shenanigans. You're not sitting next to us for this picture. Get over there. I love this one. Yeah. I'm not sure there's words. Everything you're thinking is what I want to say, but I can't. So we'll just move right along and go to the next. This bothers me. This one one actually bothers me. Deep down inside, this is not okay. Like, who loves... First of all, a cat that much, let alone their pet animal. Apparently, they do. I love this last one. Check this out. Oh, man. Now, before you laugh too hard, this is my dad right here in the middle. Yeah. And this is your senior pastor, Kevin Myers. Yeah. Looking good with that hair. Oh, man, just when you think, not my family, you see something like this, Uh, just ridiculous. Some of you came to church today, and you were thinking to yourself, man, my family is in trouble. Man, we have issues, we have problems, and then you saw these pictures, and you're like, we're just fine. We're going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. But here's what we need to realize, man, there's no perfect family. There's no perfect family. 
but we serve a perfect God, amen? Yeah, we serve a perfect God, and he has given us pictures of what a family should look like inside of his word, and that's what we're going after inside of this series, and I hope today is encouraging and helpful to those of you that are parents, because parenting, man, it is difficult. From sleepless nights to empty bank accounts to desperate prayers to repeating yourselves time and time and time and over and over again, Uh, parenting is just hard pretending like you know what you're doing all the time. Cassie and I are in a season of parenting four kids right now, ranging from ages one to nine years old, two girls and two boys, and we have not slept through the night in nine years, no joke, uh, through this process. But as we talk about belonging and parenting here today, here's the challenge that faces us uh, when we look at this subject, and the challenge is this, is everybody is in such a different place when it comes to family and parenting. For example, some of you have kids, some of you don't have kids. Some of you can't have kids, are struggling to have kids. Some of you have adopted kids or trying to adopt kids. Some of you are fostering kids. Some of you are raising kids on your own. Some of you are raising someone else's kids. Some of you have finally gotten the kids out of the home. Some of you now have grandkids in your home that you're raising. Some of you are in this room and you are a kid. So we, we, we got a pretty diverse group inside of this room. So as we talk about this subject, I wanted to find something that would be common for all of us, that, that would speak to every single one of us, no matter what, uh, where we are inside of our lives. And it's a weight, a common weight that every single one of us carries in our lives. And here's what it is. Nothing is more important in your life than being one of God's tools to form a human soul. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're a parent, if you're a coworker, if you're a coach, a mentor, a follower of Jesus Christ that has to disciple others, any of these things require us to lean into this understanding that nothing is more important in your life than being one of God's tools to form a human soul. It's a sobering thought when we begin to realize and understand that God is entrusting great things to us inside of our lives. And let's be very clear on this. Parenting is discipling. That's what it is. It applies to every single one of us because if we're followers of Jesus Christ, we should be discipling someone in their following of Jesus. So let's kick it off today. Let's get into this parenting conversation, have some fun with it. But to do that, we have to have an honest moment that I think will help every single one of us. So all the parents here and across all of our campuses online participate with us inside of this. Uh, Parents, If you are normally a sane human being, pretty sane, you say I'm fairly sane, I get what I'm doing here, but you have lost your ever-loving mind on one of your kids before, would you raise your hands uh, inside of your rooms and keep them up? Everybody take a look around. This is so encouraging, right? You're not alone. It's okay. We all lose our minds. Two hands up for some of us. I see you. I got you every day, right? Man, we've all done this. And I want this to be encouraging to you. This is not a drive-by guilting where you're a terrible parent. Go home. Like, this is not what it is. In fact, I want to encourage you. Parenting can sometimes feel so epic, impossible at times. And some of us, man, we carry guilt because of some of the things that we've done inside of parenting. But we've all made mistakes. In fact, I want to help us walk through and hopefully get some of this guilt that is on our shoulders and kind of give it away to God here today and let him relieve us from that. And I want to do that by exposing three myths 
about parenting that we may unintentionally uh, know that we believe. These are lies. These are not truths, but the myths that we believe. And here's the first one. Perfect parenting makes perfect kids, right? It's just not true. That's not true. I mean, all we have to do is look at Genesis 2 and 3 and look at the story of how God created his children, Adam and Eve, and God's perfect. And what did they do? They rebelled. They, they, they sinned against him inside of that. Listen, in every single room that we're in here today, whether you're watching online, all we have is imperfect parents and imperfect kids and the grace of Jesus Christ bridging the gap. That's what we have here today. Perfect parenting makes perfect kids. No, here's the second one. It's all my fault. Now in this room, there, man, there are some of you that are in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and when you think about parenting, when you think about your kids, all you can ask yourself is the question, where did I go wrong? What did I do? And you carry very real guilt and shame because of what you think happened to your kids. And maybe today, you're here today for the sole reason that your heavenly father can speak into you here and now in this moment to tell you it's not all your fault. Where you have failed, God can succeed. He can. And the greatest weapon that God has given us for our kids is prayer. Cover your kids with prayer. For our kids that have walked away from the faith and made terrible decisions that we would never make for them, we have to cover them with prayer because where we have failed, God can succeed. Listen, we can't make the decision for our kids to follow Jesus. We can just train them and raise them up to put them in the best place where they would make that decision for themselves. Some of you parents need to hear, it's not all your fault. Kids grow up. They make their decisions on their own. Third myth, I can save my kids. This is a myth, just not true. L listen, you can save your kids as much as you can save yourself. We can't save our kids. There is only one person, there is only one God, and his name is Jesus, and he is the only one that could ever save your kids. See, Jesus is better at saving than we are at sinning. It's what he does. It's who he is. We need to drive our kids to a belonging in Jesus. So if we can't save our kids, what are we left doing? We're left discipling them. We're left discipling them. And so we're going to go after that today and discover how do we disciple our kids. And we're going to do that through the scripture of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Go ahead, grab your worship center Bibles, pull out your devices, wherever that's at. We're going to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to be starting at verse 4 together. Go ahead, page 182. Page 182 in your worship center Bibles, underneath your chairs or on your chair when you walked in. Go ahead and pull them out. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And as you're turning there and getting set, I believe God wants us to wrestle through a question today. And it's a question that matters when it comes to our parenting of our children. I believe through today, you will have to wrestle this down. And here's the question. What is your deepest desire and your highest hope for your children? What is your deepest desire and your highest hope for your children? And Deuteronomy chapter 6 is going to help us wrestle with this question here today. 
So I'm gonna read it in its entirety and we can follow along. And as we get there, I wanna tell you what this point of scripture is actually called. It's called the Shema. So some of you are the She-what? Turn to your neighbor, tell them it's the Shema. Go ahead, turn. And this was part of Jewish custom that this point of scripture would be how they would educate their children in Christianity. This is how they discipled their kids and how it's how we should disciple them here today as well. So let's read it. I'll read it in its entirety. You can follow along, then we'll break it down. Father, would you bless the reading of your word here today? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, the first verse inside of this, uh, we're not going to break it down overly today and sit in it, but it serves us to know that verse 4 is simply declaring that God is a triune God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one God. And what serves us today is this is included in this point of Scripture to remind us that God is at the center of everything. And whether you believe that or not does not change the fact that he is at the center of everything that goes on inside of our lives and around us inside of this world. And it serves us to remind ourselves of that. But as we continue through this point of scripture, we're going to begin to see three uh, concentric circles take place that represents what this teaching actually looked like and how they discipled their kids. And they were centered on one central thought for their kids, one thing that they were going after and they wanted to discover. And we'll walk through that as we go today. And it begins, the center begins in verse five. Let's, Let's read it. I'll read Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. See, the first beginning, the center of what they would do to disciple their children is they would help them to understand how to love God. And what's so interesting and fascinating to me is that Moses does not begin this point of scripture by saying, hey, here's the 10 commandments that you should follow. Impress those on your children. Put the 10 commandments inside of your children to raise them up. That's not what he said. He doesn't start with the rules. He starts with something else. It's the first word of verse five. What's that word? Love. Why? Why does he begin with love. See, it's because it's not your understanding of right and wrong that motivates your decisions and actions. It's what you love. We all know this to be true. This is why you order what you order at the restaurant, right? We get this? Do we understand this? Like, you don't order what you know you should order. You order what you love. You go to get there. Every time I go to Chick-fil-A, I look up at the menu as I'm standing in line, and I see all the green stuff to the right. I see that superfood. I see all the salads that are listed there. And every time I'm in that line, I have this conversation with myself. I'm looking at it going, yeah, I should order that. That is healthy. That looks good. That'll probably taste really good. I should get that. Oh, you know what? Today, I'm going to. I'm going to order that food. That's the right decision today. And every time I hear the words, how may I serve you? I say, I'll have a number one with a lemonade with two Chick-fil-A sauces. (laughs) You know why? Because that's what I love. And I just love me a chicken sandwich. I want to die young enjoying what I eat, right? A little bit earlier. Oh, well. Let's make a point. Here's the point. 
We make decisions and we do the actions that we do inside of our lives based on what we love, not on what's right or wrong. That's where we start is where we love. And so Moses and God don't start with the do's and the don'ts. They start with love the Lord, your God, because the motivation that needs to be in our children at the center of who they are is not don't do this and don't do that. It's love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Because that needs to be the motivation that causes them to make the decisions that they make inside of their lives. It starts with love God. And so, moving forward, we have to ask ourselves a question. Here's the question we have to ask. We're going to answer this as we move along. How do I cultivate a love for God in my kid's heart? If that's where God starts, that's where Moses starts, starts with love the Lord your God, how do we go cultivate a love for God in our kids. And here's the first way. It starts with me. Write it down. It starts with me. Verse six. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. On whose hearts? Yours. If you want to cultivate a love for Jesus in your kid's heart, it first has to be in yours. We can never parent and disciple the people around us to have a love for God beyond our own. So let me ask you a question. How's your heart today? How is your love for your heavenly father? How is your love for Jesus, your Lord and Savior? Was there a day that, where it was deeper and you had a greater passion and now it's drifting and it's going away slowly each and every day? Because God would want us to attend to our hearts. Because if we want to disciple the people around us, if we want to raise up a generation and pour into our children, it begins with us that it must be on our hearts that we love the Lord our God. And so I'd encourage you, find the things around you that stir your heart and stir your affections for God. Maybe it's nature for you. Maybe you like taking hikes. When you go out for a hike, man, you just connect with the Lord and it stirs an affection for him. Maybe it's reading his word, journaling about what he saved you from. Maybe it's worship and putting on music and just singing out praises, being at church. Whatever it is, you have to first attend to your heart and stir an affection for God inside of yourself because it begins with me. Then we move on to the second circle, which is our children. It's in verse seven. I'll read. It says this, impress them on your children. Second circle should be this, teach your children. So first, love God, and it starts with us. And second of all, then you gotta teach this to your children. You've gotta put it inside of them. Now, now let's talk. Let's have an honest conversation here this morning. When I read this this point of scripture, impress them on your children, I immediately have a thought that pops inside of my mind. I think to myself, I don't have time to sit down with my kids every single day and unpack a Bible study in front of them. I just don't have it. I've got baseball practices to take them to, softball practices. We've got teacher-parent conferences. We've got another birthday party we have to go to. We've got work we gotta do around the house. I've got work itself. I gotta attend to my wife and my marriage. I've got all these different things I have to do, and you want me to teach a Bible study? Anybody else? It's okay. It feels like it's church. I can't raise my hand to that question. Like, no, I teach my kids every day. Like, right? We have busy schedules. I mean, it is a struggle just to feed our kids, get them in the bath, in the shower, and get them in bed by 9 p.m., let alone teach them the doctrine of God every single night. 
That's a lot. But I just love this text. I love what it says because it's as if God knows we live in an actual world with busy lives. Let me show you that we can do this. God wants to show you that you can actually do this. Verse seven, he says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. How many of you sit at home? Anybody? Got a couch, chair, sit at home? Boom, you can do this. You're in. He continues, and when you walk along the road, any of you drive your kids places? Yes? You never knew you were gonna be a taxi service, did you? There is no better place to trap your kids than inside of a car. There is nowhere they can go. Turn off the music, turn off the videos, turn off the phones, talk to your kids in the car. You can do this. It continues, when you lie down and when you get up, how many of you guys have kids that go to bed? Eventually, eventually. <laughs> how many of you don't? Yeah, all of us, right? We can do this. So God's going, listen, I get your lives are busy, but you can do this every single day. So what's the point? What is God trying to tell us? How do we cultivate a love for God inside of our kids' hearts? It's right here. Involve God in your daily conversations. This isn't going to be a sit-down Bible study for 30 minutes. Just talk about them all the time with your kids in every single one of your conversations. Now, what does this look like? Here's what Cassie and I do. Every conversation we have with our kids, we look for a way to bring God into it. Every conversation. So when I'm at home and my kids are at home, I talk about what they did for school or what their day was like and what they experienced, and they'll talk. And while they're talking, I'm listening, looking for a window of where God comes in. And my daughter Ella will come home and she'll be crying or frustrated and say, man, these girls made fun of me for this. And I'll look at her and say, oh, that's not who you are, right? You are who God says you are, not what they say. And listen, and God would want you to know that even though you're mad at these girls, you're going to go back to school and guess what you're going to do? You're going to love on them. And you're going to keep loving on them when they do this to you. And they're going to ask why. And you're going to tell them about Jesus. And this is what we do. I bring God into the conversation. When my kids get hurt, they come to me. I'm hurt. And I say, who can heal that? And sometimes they go, you. And I'm like, nope, ain't me. <laughs> Only God's going to heal that. We got to pray for that. And we pray for it. And it's usually this minor little thing. And when they wake up in the morning, they're like, God healed it. And it's awesome. <laughs> and they get it. Right? We just bring them into our everyday conversation. I ask my daughter, Sailor, hey, you want to go for a walk? She goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she opens the door. She goes, Dad, it's raining. I go, who makes the rain? And she goes, God. I said, that's right. And then we talk about these things. Listen, you have to bring God and involve him in your everyday daily conversations with your kids. I want to share my favorite story with you. Can I do this? This is awesome. This is great. I do this with our kids, and, and we, I, we, I had a moment where I watched something happen. I'm like, I get it. I get why we do this daily conversation thing now that I've seen this. This is with my daughter, Sailor, who's four years old. She played softball for the first time ever, played softball. You don't really play softball at four years old. They kind of just stand in the outfield and look at the grass and pick on whatever there is out there. But I helped coach her team. And because it was her first time, she was four years old, she was put in the outfield, rightfully so, and she was there with another girl named Katie. It was both their, their first season, both of them stuck in the outfield, and I, I'm assistant coaching, so you put assistant coaches in the outfield uh, with the girls, and so I'm standing there with them, and I'm in this battle that I, I want to win, and all I want them to do is just look at the ball. If you would just look at the ball, look at the ball, look at the ball, look, we're look at the ball, we're playing a game. I don't care what's in the grass, look, right now. Every once in a while, you get glimmers of hope and they look up, right? But normally they don't. But my wife, Cassie, practices this, this daily conversation thing. So, so stay with me. What she always said to every single one of our kids, I never understood why. Whenever she saw the moon, she would point at the moon with the kids and she'd say, I see the moon, the moon sees me. God made the moon, 
God made me. And I was always like, oh, that's so cute. Okay, great. <laughs> but then there was this moment in the outfield. I'm trying to get Katie and, and Sailor to pay attention to the game. And all of a sudden, I'm about to win because Katie looks up and I'm like, yes. She's watching. And then all of a sudden, she goes, I see the moon. <laughs> I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And my daughter, Sailor, then all of a sudden turns and looks straight at Katie and she goes, God made the moon. <laughs> Katie turned and looked at her. She goes, God made the grass. All of a sudden, this fight just breaks out in the middle of the outfield. These two girls looking at each other, just one off in each other with all the things God, God created the grass. God created the trees. He created the birds. He created the field. My daughter looks at, I'm getting into this at this point. My daughter goes, he created my glove. And I'm like, it's pleather. We'll let it go. Let it go. They keep going back and forth with each other on what God created. And I mean, I loved it. And so much so that my daughter, Sailor, said grass again. I'm like, nope, already said that. Doesn't count. Keep going. Come on. Loved it. But listen, how much glory does that moment bring to our Heavenly Father in that moment as these girls go, man, God is everywhere. They just see him in everything that's going on around him. And here's the point. When we bring up God in our daily conversations with our kids, when we involve this, what's going to happen is they're going to include God in their daily conversations with someone else. They will see him everywhere they look. And we got to develop this with inside of our kids. I love that story. It's one of my favorites. we got to keep going. Verse 8. Verse 8 says this. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, if you're like me, you read this and you're like, not literally, right? Not lit they didn't literally tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. It's ridiculous. They literally did this. This is what they did. They would take this portion of text and put it in a box with their children. Take that box, put it right on their forehead, put a leather strap around it, and tie it in the Jewish custom. And they would pray with that on their head and on their hands, bound to understand how important it is to love the Lord your God. And they would walk around and do this. And you might think that's ridiculous, but that's about as ridiculous as us putting UGA, Georgia Tech, Atlanta United, Atlanta Hawks hats on our kids, right? I mean, we're doing that to our kids. We're indoctrinating things inside of them of what matters. That's what they just want this to matter more than anything else. But to what effect? What, why do that? Why, why put it on their hands? Why put it on their foreheads? Why, why have them walk around in public and do these things? Well, a verse, if you continue in that verse, it gives us the, the reason why it says, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This reminded them that their love of God wasn't just for them, it was for others. You would put it on the gates. You would, we would pray with these things on you so people could see that, so that they would know that you love the Lord, so they could ask and you could have an impact in their lives. This is the third circle. That in our lives, we love God. That's the center. We teach our children, but it's for our children so they can love others. So what's the practicality of this inside of our lives, inside of our parenting? It's this. How do we cultivate a love for our kids, inside of, for God inside of their lives? Serve with your kids. See, parents would do this and put it on their gates that, so that their kids would come with them and so that they would have to be out in the community and people would see that they love the Lord. And we are in danger of raising up a generation of kids that have heard about the power of God but have never experienced it in their own life. 
And how do we get our kids to experience the power in the presence of God? We have to bring them with us when we go to serve others, when we love others, when we do things for the people around us in the community. Don't just do it. Bring your kids. Let them experience it. Let them see the impact of what God does in those moments. I've told a story before about how I was driving in a car and I saw a man on the side of the road and I had $50 and I was like, I ain't giving it to him. And God was like, yes, you are. And I reluctantly gave that money away with the worst attitude ever. Right? Remember that? Some of you remember it. I had to do that again, but it's a little bit different. Let me tell you how this worked. Uh, Beckett, my son and I were driving to Walmart because he wanted to buy a fishing lure, excited about fishing. And as we were going, they were driving through the parking lot and there was a woman that was on the side of the road with three kids sitting next to her and she had a sign, no job, no work, need help, anything. And we just drove by, and in that moment, I was like, yeah, God, you're going to tell me to give some money again, aren't you? And he goes, nope. He said, I want Beckett to give that woman some money. I'm like, Beckett, I'm like, all right. And so we go and do his thing, and he shops, and then we, we get back in the car, and we're leaving. And as we're driving by and coming up, I, I, I lean back to my son. I said, son, this woman, did you see her when we came in? Yeah, man, she needs some help. She really does. And I want you to give her your money. And he only had a dollar left after spending his money on some other stuff. But a dollar to a little kid is like a million bucks. They're like, man, this is mine. And so as I drove up, I said, Beckett, you're going to have to give that to her. And he was a little bit nervous, I could tell. Uh, but I just put his window down in the back. I didn't even say a word. I just drove up and stopped. And he just leaned out, and he's like, here. He didn't really know what else to say in that moment. And she was so grateful. I mean, just a dollar, but you could see the tears in her eyes. And she grabbed the dollar from him. Now, now let me make a point. The tears in her eyes spoke volumes to my son more than I ever could about the love of God and what it is to love others. I can't teach that to my son. He has to experience it with me. Are you doing this with your kids? I mean, first, we have to learn to serve others ourselves. It starts with us, remember? But then we have to bring our kids with us to experience the power of God move, and that will cultivate a love for God within their hearts. My son, when we drove home, he's smiling ear to ear the whole way, telling his mom, we got, oh, guess what I did? This is awesome. Loved it. Great moment. We have to serve with our kids. Now, at this point, the Shema ends, and we could miss a very valuable lesson at the very end in verse 20. In verse 20. I want you to go back down to it. I'll read it for us to understand one last way that we cultivate this love for God in our kids' hearts. It says this, in the future, when your sons ask you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? In other words, when they ask you why you love the Lord, when they ask you, why do we keep going to church? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. In other words, here's the fourth way we cultivate. Share your testimony with your kids. When your kids ask, why do we go to church? Why do you love God so much? Tell them about how Jesus Christ showed up and rescued you. See, we need parents telling a generation of the rescuing hand of Jesus Christ and how he stepped into our lives and saved us out of the terrible things that were going on in our lives, how we were reborn inside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Grandparents, we need you showing up, pulling your grandkids around you and telling them the story of how you were saved. That's their legacy. We would see a revival if we could share our testimonies with our kids. And now there's four ways 
that we can cultivate this love for God inside of our kids' hearts. But it's hard to see all of this play together. So, so Bruce and the guys, they're gonna come out. I wanna help show you how all four of these things can play out in a moment inside of our lives as we parent. It's gonna be a fun moment for you to see and experience inside of this. But I believe that our parenting, man, our parenting can break down. We could do all of these things all at once and keep doing them in our lives and it could still break down and we wouldn't know why. And I want to show you why I believe sometimes these things break down inside of our parenting with our kids and how sometimes it doesn't have the fruit that we thought it would in our lives. So they've got it set up. In my life, I love a lot of things. I love a lot of things. But man, I love my Savior, Jesus Christ. I love the Lord our God. I love his word. And I love that first more than anything else. But I love my family. I just do, man. I love my family. My four kiddos and my wife, Cassie, she's amazing. God has blessed me so much inside of my life. I love them. But there is a close third in my life of something I desperately, desperately love. It's not quite with this, but it's, it's up there, something I love desperately in my life. And that's Michigan Wolverine football. <laughs> yeah. Now, maybe for you, this would be LSU after last night, or this might be some other team. Yeah, have your moment. This might be something else, maybe not Michigan Warriors. Maybe, this could be your phone, this could be your job, this could be your career, this could be your bed for those of you who love sleeping, this could be the person you're dating. Just think of the close third, the thing that you love so much inside of your life. Mine just happens to be Michigan Wolverine football, and yours should be too, but... Uh, I love me some Michigan Wolverine football. And I'll tell you what, it's easy to love a lot of things inside of our lives until those two things start competing, right? It was a few weeks back, my Michigan Wolverines played on national television against the Penn State uh, Nittany Lions, and it was primetime whiteout. Don't want to talk about how that game really went, but doesn't serve the point. Uh, but... That was going to be an amazing game, a whiteout, national television at 7.30 p.m. I was so excited for that game. The only problem is at 7.30 p.m., I put my kids to sleep. I pray for them. I read the word with them. I cuddle with them in bed and demonstrate that they matter to the Lord and they matter to me in that moment. And so now I had a dilemma because I love me some Michigan football and I love my kids and the Lord. And, and, and so I had a decision to make. So what I did is at 7 p.m., I jumped the gun. So kids, time for bed, let's go, 7 p.m. Like, what are you talking about, 7 o'clock? Get in bed now, put the pajamas on, get them tucked in. I'm tucking my kids down, I'm praying for them. Jesus loves you in the name of Jesus, amen, go. And then we're, I'm running out. I get to my son, Becky, I pray for him as fast as I possibly can, amen. I start to go walking out of the room, he goes, dad, 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 dad. I'm like, what, what, buddy? He's like, are you gonna go watch that football game? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. And then my manipulative son asked me a question. <laughs> he looked at me and he said, Dad, is football more important than the Bible? <laughs> I looked him straight in the eyes and I said, tonight it is. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I looked at him and I said, of course not. Of course not. And I had to settle down. I had to open up the word of God and read it with my son and walk through it with him and pray for him as quickly as I could, but with enough uh, that it meant like it was important to me in that moment. Now, now let's make a point. See, in that moment, I realized 
The question is not, are we discipling our kids? The question is, how are we discipling our kids? See, because your kids are watching you. They're paying attention to every single thing you're doing. They're watching how you spend your time, your energy, your money, and your strength. They're looking to see what you care most about inside of your life. And they hear you say one thing, but they might see you do something else, and this is where it breaks down. See, Matthew 6 tells us, Jesus says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be as well. And where your treasure is, your kid's heart will be there eventually as well. Our kids are watching us. And our discipleship breaks down when we say we love one thing more than anything else, but our kids watch us gravitate to something else. And so let me ask you, what is your deepest desire and your highest hope for your kids? My prayer for you is that we would leave today with a renewed strength and confidence that it should be that they belong to Jesus. That they would have a love for God so deeply rooted inside of them that they couldn't help but love him and serve him in everything that they do. Every time we gather, God is inviting us into his presence. And his presence satisfies. So lift your voices today. Lean in. Let's sing. People come together strangers neighbors our blood is one children of generations of every nation of kingdom come sing out so don't let your heart trouble come on every voice Hold your head up high, don't fear evil. Fix your eyes on this one truth. God is madly in love with you. So take courage, hold on, be strong. Remember where I help comes from.
His kingdom come.